What's going on, my friends? Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome for your first time. Whatever it is, welcome to the podcast, The What If Project. My name is Glenn, and uh, this is episode number 263. And today we're talking to Elaine Pagels. She was on the show a little over a year ago. It was almost two years ago. I don't know. I lost track. We've, we've done a lot of conversations, but she was on the show once before, and we talked about the Gnostic Gospels, right? Because she's very well known in that kind of realm of the universe. And uh, we talked about like the Gospel of Thomas, which isn't Gnostic, but she wrote a book about it. We talked about her book, The Gnostic Gospels. We talked about um, you know, Nag Hammadi, all these documents they found in Egypt, you know, of these books, these letters that were left out of the Bible because they were deemed heretical, and how she was like on a team that helped translate those things. I mean, how wild is that, right? So anyway, she talked all about that sort of stuff in the first time. This time she's coming back uh, to talk to us about her book called Revelations, uh, plural, Revelations, Subtitle is Visions, Prophecy, and Politics in the Book of Revelation. This is a wild book and a wild conversation. Uh, She talks to us about how, and she gets right into it, like the first 10 minutes of the episode. We're we're like up to our necks (laughs) in some really interesting stuff. But she talks about how the, 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 the world of politics and the world of the church how the misuse of the book of Revelation has caused widespread devastation on a global level all the way down to the micro, individual, personal level. And this is such an important conversation. You'll notice that we we refer to Ukraine a lot because we recorded this episode before my father passed away. I think we recorded in like February, and so the whole Ukraine situation was like really heating up. And so she references that a lot. But very interesting to have this conversation now with everything going on in Israel and Palestine. Uh, Because, I mean, I see it on my Facebook page. People talking about how this is the beginning of the tribulation. You know, Israel is going to win this. They're going to be put back on top. I've heard people say the temple is going to be rebuilt. Jesus is coming back. Like, this is it. Get ready. People are excited about war. And it's just really, really weird. And I've heard even like politicians refer to the book of Revelation. In the midst of all this, pastors are referring to the book of Revelation about how this book is this prophecy of these times and it's all coming true. And Elaine is really, really forward <laughs> in her thoughts about, about that. And she refers back to um, you know, various things under the presidency of George W. Bush and uh, some of the different things uh, that went on in the world at that time and how he Use the book of Revelation for various reasons. She goes really into a lot of stuff. But what I'm saying is that you're going to leave this episode feeling very informed because I learned a lot of things uh, from Elaine, from her experience, from her study, not just her study of the book of Revelation and just all the work that she's done, but just her observations about the world 
and politics as a whole really shined a light on a lot of things for me. So this episode is going to blow you away. I've listened to it since I recorded it three times because I edited the video, I edited the audio, then I went back and I listened to it again because there's just so much here that is so helpful. And uh, I really think you're going to leave this episode more informed, but with a deeper appreciation for the book of Revelation and a much bigger kind of, I don't know, mindset, bigger, bigger picture that the book of Revelation that you and I know in the Bible, it's not the only book of Revelation. That's why the book title is called Revelations, because there's multiple books like this that were written. This is the only one that made it into the Bible, and it almost didn't make it into the Bible, which he talks about um, as well. So mind-boggling stuff coming up. Buckle up, grab some coffee, <laughs> get your notebook out, uh, because there's a, there's a lot here, but you're going to leave, like I said, with a deeper appreciation and I think understanding and grasp uh, for, this, for this book. Uh, real quick, I mean, we, ha- we have a lot of new people that have uh, come to the podcast. I've noticed kind of a spike in downloads in different places, whether it be YouTube or iTunes and those kinds of places. Uh, what is this? I had somebody reach out to me a couple weeks ago and say, what is this thing? <laughs> what is this thing? that you do, uh, this What If Project. And I said, well, you know, basically what it is, is we explore this, this question, right? Like what if there are ways of thinking about God and the Bible and faith and Jesus and things like the book of Revelation that are just different, way different than the, the very often narrow ways that our traditions have handed us? What if, right? Like I grew up in the evangelical world. It's our way or the highway. You know, this is what you need to believe. You need to say this prayer. And if you don't do these things, you're going to hell. Right? And that's just the end of the story. And I used to believe that for the longest time. But then I started to ask some questions. And those questions led me to these different places where I've discovered that the history of Christianity is not narrow at all. It's actually very wide. And one narrow tradition kind of won the war, so to speak, the Orthodox tradition, but there's lots of other, throughout history, there's lots of other ways to think about God and the Bible and Jesus and the cross and all these things than this very narrow way that I and many of us were handed growing up. And so we explore those things. We explore all different pathways of spirituality, whether it be uh, things within the Christian tradition, like even like the Gnostic texts, um, whether it be like contemplative spirituality, um, talked about Buddhism on the show. We had a medium on the show. We've done tarot card episodes on the show. We just explore all different things. And we wonder, can God be found in all of these places? Uh, What are the parallels between all of these things? Uh, Can it help us grow closer to the divine and closer to ourselves and become more and more and more of the people that we've been created to be, people who are created in the image of the divine, whatever that might be, whatever that might look like. And so we explore all of that and we push back on some things. You know, I'm not afraid to push back on some of the narrowness that I was handed. We push back on, you know, things like eternal conscious torment and substitutionary atonement theory. People believe in that. That's fine. It doesn't matter. I love to hear about what you think and why why you know you're passionate about those things but 
We push back on it. We wonder, are there other ways to believe? It's fine to believe that. But what if that doesn't jive with you? Like, are there other ways to believe about God and Jesus and all these things and salvation if you're going to not believe in hell and not going to believe in substitutionary atonement, all those different things? So we just we just ask a lot of questions and we explore. I love to have people on and, and hear their stories. It's one of my favorite things. It's just to hear somebody's story. You know, it's not about arguing about who's right and who's wrong. It's just about tell me what you believe about this. And then tell me your story. Like, why in the world are you so passionate about this? Like Elaine, she talks to us about why she's passionate about this topic. Like, what happened in your life that made you so passionate about this material? And tell me, tell me what it is that you believe about it. And I love to hear those stories because I feel like when I hear that, I have a much deeper appreciation for people who think differently than, than me. So in a nutshell, that's what we do here. <laughs> that's the What If Project. And uh, we're really, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, it's good to have you. So uh, I'm going to put all Lane's links in the show notes, also links to my books, uh, Rethinking Everything and Emerging from the Rubble. Uh, both of those books are available on Amazon. Uh, they are in the show notes. Also in the show notes is Patreon if you want to support the show. Uh, that's one way that you can do it. It's a monthly... Uh, payment that begins at $3 a month all the way up to like $100 a month. And uh, that gets you entrance into a Discord chat group where we chat throughout the course of a week. Um, We talk about different things and we explore different things and it's a whole lot of fun. So anyway, my friends, uh, that's it. That's all I've got. Uh, Buckle up, like I said, grab a pen and a notebook, Uh, get ready (laughs) to be blown away by Dr. Elaine Pagels talking about the book of Revelation. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're joined by a repeat guest. Uh, her first time on the show of the 250-ish episodes we've done. Uh, my conversation with her was one of my favorites, Elaine Pagels. Uh, welcome back to the show. It's always an honor to talk to you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, Glenn. Thank you. So last time uh, you were here, we talked about all things Gnostic. We jumped into your book, uh, The Gnostic Gospels, a little bit about your story from why religion. But today... I want to pick your brain about the book of Revelation, a very light topic, right? Very, very easy, <laughs> very, very black and white topic. <laughs> very simple. how you treat it, that's for sure. That's right. That, so That topic has been treated every way you can possibly imagine. Yes, I, I, I know a very narrow amount, but I'm sure there's, there's much that I, I have not experienced. But you wrote a book, uh, which I highly recommend to our listeners. It's called Revelations, uh, Visions, Prophecy, and Politics in the Book of Revelation, uh, so maybe we could begin really surface level. Tell us a little bit about your book, and particularly the title, right? Revelations. It's plural. And uh, talk to us about, like, in the book, you talk about how the Book of Revelation is not the only revelatory text that was floating around back in the day, but it is the only one that actually made it into our New Testament. So I'm wondering if you could talk to us about about that. Uh, you know, the other books that were floating around at the time, and why this particular book made it into our Bible. Well, you put it very well, Glenn, because many people who 
only know of one book with that title that mm -hmm. ah she knows nothing i mean she doesn't even know it's called revelation right revelations she already um, got the title wrong <laughs> yeah right and but you but it's right i mean along with the discovery of secret gospels mm -hmm. i later realized wait a minute there's a whole lot of revelation texts in yeah. fact that's really what many of them are hmm. and i didn't think much about it uh because i didn't like the book of revelation much when i was uh, in an evangelical church in my high school days mm -hmm. it was a test text of fear yeah and it's often functioned to terrify people and it's often used that way but what happened after that is that the president of the united states whose mm -hmm. name then was george w bush mm -hmm. started a war with iraq I was working in Egypt, and I thought, how do you turn the entire Arab world against the United States yeah. when they really love America? They mm -hmm. want jeans. They want rock and roll. How do you do that? This yeah. is how you do that. You start a war, mm. and you invade their country, right? Yeah. And it seemed to me so blockheaded. I didn't realize it was a lot of it was about oil and commerce. Yeah. with Bush's oil companies and his vice president's interest in oil as well. Um, but I knew it was an outrageous thing to do. And what made it even worse, mm -hmm. when all the protests against the war failed and 100,000 you know, Iraqis had died, and, and, and Bush came on and said, not one American life has been lost. And I thought, you know, American lives are so much more valuable than every everyone else's of course you know. <laughs> what is he talking about um he started a war and hundred thousands of people ki are killed yeah. he was using the book of revelation as his propaganda mm. there was an operation do you remember it was called shock and awe i do remember that yeah well what did it mean that was about that was nato's term i mean it was it was a the military's term for the for the operation in which American bombs pounded Baghdad. Yeah. And the name comes, and I didn't know this at the time, but I learned it, came from the book of Revelation. Really? It comes from the chapter in which there are seven angels, mm -hmm. and each angel is holding a huge bowl of the wrath of God, and a trumpet sounds, and the first angel pours the wrath of God over the earth, and Horrible earthquakes happen, like the one that just happened, right? Mm -hmm. Disasters. And then the second angel pours God's wrath on earth and more terrible things happen. And this goes on through six. The sixth angel yeah. pours the cup of the, it's not a cup, it's a huge bowl of God's wrath on the earth. And it says there's blinding light and huge noise and people on earth die cursing God. Mm. And that is how they got the name for shock and awe. It is shock to unbelievers, but awe to those who understand that the American bombs are delivering God's wrath. Mm. So, so this mm. is a way of justifying an invasion of a sovereign country. I mean, a country ruled by a terrible man, right? Mm, yeah. I do think Saddam Hussein's actions were horrendously evil. He was yeah. a brutal ruler but 
it was still the invasion of a country yeah for other reasons than the ones that were claimed but bush was selling it to his base who understood the secret language is the book of revelation saying american bombs are delivering god's wrath this is divine justice right mm, yeah on the forces of evil and he called them the axis of evil and and more than that there are many many clues in the language he used to promote that war mm-hmm. that came out of the book of revelation and his evangelical brothers and sisters of the group that believed that this is really the end time and and he's making it happen in the right way yeah so you know look nobody could stop the war at that point but i kept thinking how do you take a 2000 year old book yeah and uh, my word would be pretend yeah that it's predicting what's happening in the 21st century with american bombs so i went back to the, I, I mean how do you do that you know yeah how does it work yeah so i went back to the book and read it carefully and mm-hmm. it's still a terrifying book. Um, and as you know, it's a book about angels yeah. and demons and monsters and whores and horrible suffering, yeah. divine judgment, God's wrath, heaven at the end. I mean, the a huge contrast between good and evil. Mm. And it's all about the conflict between God's power mm-hmm. and evil, right? And God is going to win, but mm-hmm. not after, not until a lot of horrible things. A lot happen. of blood is shed. Yeah. But I realized, Len, that if you say, okay, here's a story about the conflict between good and evil, angels and demons, mm-hmm. God and Satan. You can take that as storyline, if you like, mm-hmm. that plot line, the contrast, cosmic war. You can plug into it any conflict you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be a conflict you have with somebody. Yeah. It could be, you know, a world catastrophe. Mm-hmm. It could be people who are against you in any circumstance. So that conflict has actually, I started to look. That book has served the purpose of war for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Just because what I realized is it uses this kind of dream imagery, like dragons and beasts. Yeah. And, and and angels, the kind of thing that comes into children's nightmares yeah. or anybody's nightmares. Yeah. And, and you, you know, whatever conflict you're in can fit into that. Yeah. And, it, and that's how it's been used. Well, in the first century, mm-hmm. the writer was writing about war. He was painfully, acutely aware that his country had been destroyed by by the Roman army, which is just a horrendously effective military machine mm. that trampled everything under its weight, you know. Yeah. And so, and his people have been destroyed, and and the holy city of Jerusalem has been flattened and turned into a Roman garrison and burned down. Mm. The temple of God is a wreck, and he's writing about that. Uh, out of agony and hope, mm. you know, that God will come now and destroy the evildoers, pay them back and restore good mm. to the world. Mm. But the way it's 
can be used and has been used for 2000 years is really powerful once you start looking at it. Yeah, the way that I mean, I, I was brought up in an evangelical setting and I went to a private Christian school and I can remember in the sixth grade, we did a we had Bible class every day. And in sixth grade, our teacher took us through the book of Revelation. Now I'm what, like a 11, whatever, whatever age I'm in the sixth grade. And we're going through this book and we're coming at it from the left behind angle. And we actually watched in the class, the movie, A Thief yes. in the Night. We watched yes. that movie as a sixth grader and I was absolutely horrified, but I, I was so scared. Like I had nightmares about it and I was so scared to tell my parents because I was like, well, what if my parents don't believe? And then they're going to tell me they do believe just to kind of calm me down. But then they're going to go to hell. It's going to be my fault. I had all these horrible nightmares. And then in church at the same time, the pastor was preaching about Revelation and also about First Thessalonians, where Paul talks about being lifted into the air. So we're talking about the rapture, things like that at the same time. And it was just such a horrifying time. But then I got really interested in the book of Revelation, but I only came at it from that angle because that's all that I knew. So I had like the end times charted out on my wall when I was like starting college and things like that, because that's all that I knew. And now I'm finding out, I mean, maybe that was like 10 years later, I started to really realize, well, Revelation is much more than this. Like, this is not what Revelation really is. And so finding out like some of the context that you just spoke of is so interesting to me because there is so much more to this book than what many people have been led to believe. And I think it's been weaponized in a lot of ways, like you said, to really hurt people. I don't know if it's intentional necessarily, but I think a lot of people have been wounded and carry a lot of baggage because of the way they've been spoken to about this book. I'm so glad you described your experience because one of my graduate students when I was working on this said he was afraid when his mother wasn't with him that she'd been raptured. Mm. He was afraid that he was bad. He was going to be left. And, mm. you know, and they saw that same movie and you were terrified. He was terrified. That movie was meant to terrify you. Yeah. Right. To scare the hell out of you, literally. Yeah. So that you would pray to Jesus and go to heaven. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and it, that's quite different from the purpose for which it was written. Mm -hmm. But it certainly has that effect. Yeah, it really does. Now, you talk in the book about these other revelatory texts. And that's the thing I could probably talk to you about that particular thing for hours because i found it so interesting like the secret revelation of john uh the secret revelation of i think james maybe i i might have them wrong but there's a whole i think i numbered like nine of them or ten of them that you talk about in the book and they all talk about so many different things but maybe for our listeners who aren't aware of that those texts even exist could you maybe talk about one of them maybe that jumps out at you and then a little bit in particular about like why a book like that was left out of our canon and this book of revelation was invited in when i believe and i could be wrong but i think the book of revelation almost didn't make it in is that correct it almost didn't you're make the cut you're totally right yeah. out of the 27 books now in the new testament this is the only one that was intensely disputed uh, up until the last minute which is mm. it's practically 400 years after the time of jesus mm. when the new testament is put together and there's a finally a a collection that's agreed upon that we still use. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that that book, I realized, as I said, it comes out of war. Yeah. And, and it has a great deal of anger and wrath and vengeance in it. I mean, that writer wants God 
to utterly destroy and punish and devastate the enemy, which is wrong. And he, and I, and many people say, well, there's so much vengeance and bloodshed. And I mean, how could it be a Christian book? Well, it's almost not. It's written by somebody before there's what we call Christianity. He's a follower of Jesus, Mm. but he believes that, um, that Jesus has given him divine visions, Mm -hmm. which assure him that even though his beloved Jerusalem has been utterly destroyed, God will not allow injustice to happen forever. So justice will be restored. And I thought sort of nice Christians in the suburbs can't really get it. Mm -hmm. The way you could get it if you or I were living in Syria and our neighborhoods had been blown to bits with bombs and our neighbors had been killed and they're homeless and there's no place to get fresh water. And I mean, when people are living in terrible wartime, and we're seeing that now in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. they really want the enemy to be crushed just out of desperate hope of getting out of that situation. Mm. So that's, it's a powerful book. And for many people, it was a book about hope. But it depends if you're if you're on the bottom or the top. It, for example, the people under the throne are saying, "How long, Lord? How long? How long will you wait before you avenge our blood on the people of the earth?" And during the time of slavery in this country, Frederick Douglass and others who advocated the abolition of slavery said, "Those are the souls of the slaves." Mm. who've been beaten and whipped and killed and tortured in this country. And they're asking for justice and God is going to give them justice. So if you're on the bottom mm-hmm. and you're one of them, it can be a message of hope so that in African-American churches, the book of revelation is about go do it, Lord, you know, take care of the earth, bring justice back, make it right, make it beautiful again, make it yeah. start over. But the other books of Revelation are not usually about such a vast subject as really the end time, which mm. that one is. Um, what I discovered is that like the secret gospels, they're something much more personal. They're mm. usually like if you if you were having a revelation, it means that something is shown to you that is otherwise hidden, which mm-hmm. is a deep truth. Mm. And and these are specific to each people, as they are to the author of the book of Revelation, John of Patmos. Mm-hmm. So one of them that I like is called the Revelation of Zostrianos. Mm. And Zostrianos is a young man. He's apparently Jewish. And he says, well, I, I didn't understand my life. I couldn't get answers to any of the questions that I was asking about what it all means. And everything seemed meaningless to me. And I went into a depression and I decided to kill myself. So I went out in the desert Mm -hmm. by myself, didn't tell anybody. I went out. And as I was about to steal myself to, to do it, I heard a voice that said, Sastrianos, have you gone out of your mind? And he said, he, seen, he, he saw a kind of luminous cloud uh, 
of light, a cloud mm. filled with light, which seemed to come over him. And he was taken up into it and had a kind of, I don't know, he doesn't tell us. It seems like an ecstatic experience. Mm. And he said, comes out of it and he said, well, now, now I know, I love this line, now I know that the power in me is greater than all the darkness. Mm. And he goes out to preach. Mm. So that's his revelation. Mm. It's a way out of depression and suicide. Mm. Once I was talking about the Gnostic Gospels at a bookstore, somebody in the line to get a book signed told me a story just like that. He, he decided to kill himself. Mm. And something stopped him. And he was convinced it was a divine revelation. So those other books of revelation are pretty, are different from each other. You know, yeah. They, yeah. they're quite a spectrum, but they're, they're often moments of great personal transformation. And why is a book like that, like not included in the, in the canon? Like why? Cause I, 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 I listened to you tell that story and it's such a beautiful story that I feel like, could really help people and i feel like people could really find a deeper connection with god and even with jesus and like in reading something like that like why is something like that excluded and even now like nobody nobody knows about that i mean i didn't know about that book until i picked up your book and i read it so i'm sure a lot of our listeners don't know of it either but like why is that not a widely known book well that's a really good question um a very important question and mm -hmm. we struggle with it quite a bit <laughs> I my here's my guess. Mm -hmm. If you write a book like that, you say, I, you know, something happened when I was having a difficult time, and suddenly something came to me, and I understood. And this is what I saw. This mm -hmm. is what I heard. Mm -hmm. Now, you're right. This could be very encouraging to people, and I think those kinds of experiences happen to people quite often yeah and other people wish they could have experiences like that mm -hmm. but if you're creating a church and you're the head of the church mm -hmm. and i say to you well glenn i had this revelation and this is what god said to me mm. and you say well uh, i don't know that's not what i think yeah. <laughs> that is, if people if anyone's revelation can be accepted you can't have an authoritative you've got to believe this you see yeah, what I mean? yeah. that's why mystics in christian tradition were carefully monitored you know yeah and they were checked by the inquisition because if saint john of the cross or teresa of avila catholic mystics of the 15th 16th century said anything contrary to the church yeah they would be sent to the inquisition yeah. And they were very careful about what yeah. they said. Yeah. Because, for example, the revelation of John, and you might have noticed this one too. It says the disciple John, after the death of Jesus, he was devastated with grief. So he he was about to go worship in the temple, but somebody came up and said, Oh, you're a follower of that fake Messiah. Mm -hmm. You know, you've destroyed the traditions of your fathers. You should you have no business coming to the temple. 
and, and John is shocked. And he turns away from the temple and he goes out in the desert and he's feeling worse than ever. Mm. And then he said, and then he said, I, I heard a voice. And, and the voice said, and it was Jesus's voice. He said, and he said to me, John, John, why do you weep? Why are you sad? I am the one who is with you always. Mm. I am the father. I am the mother. And I am the son. And it's quite beautiful, but since the Catholic Church later would say, what do you mean, mother? <laughs> well, we, <laughs> Get out we of that. About <laughs> father, son, and Holy Spirit, right? right, right. And there's no mother anywhere. Right. Um, because the Greek terms, well, the Greek term for spirit is a neuter term. And in Latin, it's a masculine term, because since these languages have gender. and But in Hebrew, Jesus's language, Aramaic, it's a feminine term. So the spirit is seen as a, if you're going to put anthropomorphic mm -hmm. metaphors, you're mm -hmm. going to say God is father. You're using a metaphor of a human relationship mm -hmm. and saying God is like that. He's like a father and God is like a mother. The Holy Spirit is like a mother because if you're speaking Hebrew, the language tells you that the spirit is a feminine power. Mm -hmm. And the father is a masculine power. Yeah. But that's not what happened in the history of the church. Mm. You have father, son, and Holy Spirit, um, and no feminine power at all. So that would be seen by the church later as heretical. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you don't want. So they don't like these freelance <laughs> revelations. Right. Right. So then is it safe to say that like a lot of these texts then like that you mentioned, like I said, there's like maybe 10 or so of them that you talk about in the book didn't make it into the larger group of texts in the New Testament because they're encouraging people to maybe look for the truth or look for God in places other than the places the church has deemed to be appropriate. Because like, for instance, I'm looking, I opened up the book while you were talking and you have this one quote from uh, the teachings of Sil Sylvanus? Sylvanus, yeah. Sylvanus. Yeah. And it's you have a quote here and it says, knock upon yourself as upon wow. a door and walk upon yourself as on a straight road. For if you walk on the road, you cannot get lost. Yes. Open the door for yourself that you may know the one who is. What you open for yourself, you will open. Like that gives me chills, but it makes yes. me think of, you know, Jesus being the door, Jesus being the way. And, you know, in, in, in a lot of sense, like the, I've been taught in my life, like the church is the way, like you got to follow the way of the church, but this encourages you to look within yourself and open up the door yourself and you will discover God in that place. And I guess for me, like thinking of what I know of the church in my own upbringing, that's like a no, no, <laughs> we don't want that. Right. That is a no-no for most churches. Yeah. And yet they value religious experience and mystical experience. But the churches want to keep control of the message, right? Yeah. yeah. Because people can really go off the rails. <laughs> you know, I mean, they can start feeling megalomaniac, you know, oh well, I'm I'm divine, you know. Sure, sure. I'm the voice of God. Yeah. I mean, they can get into some crazy stuff. Yeah. So 
this, there are reasons that the church tries to keep the shape of what they call straight thinking yeah. and, not, and not just say, well, whatever you find in yourself. I mean, some people say, you know, the, God told me to kill my family. Well, like the God of Abraham. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> right. We use a biblical example. <laughs> yeah, just for example. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, that could be insanity, right? Mm -hmm. It could happen. It has happened. Yeah. Yeah. So that I think is why churches are trying to be careful to curate the message. Okay. So what do we say then about think about like the book of Revelation, even these other these other texts? Like what what are ways that people can steward in particular the book of Revelation? That's what we're talking about. Like what are ways that people can steward that text well? Because I've heard some people say, some scholars, historians say that book really has no place in the pulpit like people shouldn't be preaching on it because it's such a you know it's a book of bad news pretty much and it's a book of blood and war and things like that there's no hope in that book to be found but you talked about hope before and so i'm wondering like given people who are listening who might be reading the book of revelation with a group or maybe they are pastors or teachers what are some ways to effectively use this book in a way that honors the text and doesn't manipulate it like we talked about before really good question I think of two things. One mm -hmm. is it is a book which says um, you get what you deserve and evil will not go unpunished. Yeah. You know, that if you do something, um, if you harm and kill and destroy people, mm -hmm. something will happen to you. Mm -hmm. There will be retribution for that. And if you suffer unjustly, because John wrote because he, the people he knew who were followers of Jesus, as he was, mm -hmm. were being put in prison and tortured and their heads cut off or worse. I mean, there are worse ways to die than beheading. Mm. Beheading was a privilege in the Roman Empire. Mm. Um, if you weren't a, a citizen, you could be crucified, which is, you know, hanged up for naked for, for days yeah. to die really slowly or to have the vultures you know, Pulling you know, apart. after your flesh while you're while you're alive. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. So so um the book is encouragement to act right. That's one thing. And it's also encouragement to people who suffer mm -hmm. the way Christians were suffering and saying, Don't give up, don't yeah. despair. There will be justice. I mean, Jesus was terribly tortured and crucified. Yeah. But he's going to come back mm. and he's going to devastate his enemies mm. and he's going to live on earth. Mm. God will live with human beings in, in you won't need a temple because God will be right here on earth and it, the earth will be renewed and beautiful the way it was in the beginning. So there's a lot of wonderful music like I'm trying to think of, of, of the spirituals that, that on the book of Revelation. Uh, well, I was thinking of Johnny Cash's song, When the Man Comes Around. That's one. Yeah. But there's that's about justice mm -hmm. but and, and retribution. But many about um, 12 tribes in the city, hallelujah. Or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we're, we're going to walk the streets of gold, you know. Yeah. Uh, and praise God. 
Mm. So it's it's given a great deal of hope to people who have no hope. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the appeal it has, especially, as I say, if you're the people who are suffering and not the ones inflicting that. I think that's the way I find I find it because I've, I've heard, like I said, I heard a lot of people say like, it's not a hopeful book. It shouldn't be really preached from the pulpit. But when I, when I, when I peel away all of the baggage that I have from the book that I described earlier with the thief in the night and left behind, and I kind of peel all that away, I just try to look at the text for what it is. Like you said earlier, it is a scary text because there's a lot of scary language in there. It seems like John had too much pizza before bed when he had all these visions and he kind of wrote about all this stuff that was going on. But when I when I look at it in the context that you explained of what was going on in the world at the time, what these people were enduring, and I, I pull that into our days, whether it's a personal issue or a communal issue or a societal issue, like we all have that stuff that makes us feel hopeless. And I think that the book can inspire some sort of hope in that we do have a God, we have a divine being in the universe that maybe we don't completely understand, but that God is active, that God is working. And can we place our hope in the fact that perhaps down the road, whether it's a week, a month, a year, or 10 years from now, that there will be some, the, the things that are going on in our lives causing this hopelessness will in fact be better. I feel like that's I feel like that's a healthy message from the book of Revelation. Well, it's certainly meant to be. And yeah. I was just thinking of the pictures we're seeing from parts of Ukraine when they're mm -hmm. bombed out and people and they're dead in the street and yep. people are being brutally murdered and shot and raped and tortured. Yep. Um, it's in that kind of circumstance, I think you have to imagine this book coming out of that kind of yeah. terrible war yeah. um, with terrible injustice being done. Yeah. And, and the vision at the end is a glorious vision of a new earth. Mm -hmm. in which nobody hurts anybody and nobody has to weep and and those who died are are, are brought back alive and joyful yeah i think it's it's not you say that it's like it's not i was taught to read it as this is a prediction of what's going to happen it's a it's a prophecy of what's going to be yes. happening and how the world's going to end but perhaps the picture we can allow the picture to be something that evokes hope inside of us that we hope for a day when there is a new world, when there is a new a new way that things are done on the earth where the war is gone and the things that are happening in Ukraine don't happen anymore. Like we can let that that picture inspire us to create a better world around us in this day and in this moment. Well, I think that's certainly why it was written. Yeah. Um, and hmm. it was about the end of the world, but sure. I think you know the conviction that the end of the world was very near is is runs all through the gospel it's always been near right? it, says that. it says you know uh the kingdom of god is coming soon yeah and within your lifetime within your generation right yeah well now it's been 2000 years but the but whoever wrote that really felt okay it's been 90 years um 60 years since Jesus died, two yeah. generations. Yeah. It's got to happen now. Coming. So I think I think that writer certainly felt the urgency. Hmm. And he felt that Jesus had promised that, you know, when you see these terrible things happen at the end of the Mark's 
gospel in chapter three, and you see war and 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 armies surrounding Jerusalem and enemies and terrible things happening. Then you know that the end is coming at the very gates, and the Son of Man will return in the clouds and and transform the world. Yeah. And so it is about the end time, and and I think we do need that kind of hope that. Yeah. Otherwise, people assume that the world will just end in despair and yeah. devastation. All right, last question for you. Um, we've we've mentioned his name a bunch of times, John of Patmos. Um, I, growing up, I was given, I think, a lot of our listeners probably some faulty information <laughs> about John of Patmos because I was always under the impression that this was Jesus's disciple. You know, the disciple John. I was told that he. Same John that wrote the Gospel of John. I was also told he wrote for a second, third John, which is a podcast for another day. But obviously, a lot of maybe misinformation about this particular individual. So what do we know of this person, this author, um, if anything at all? And does it does, does it really matter at the end of the day uh, what we know of him and what we don't? Good questions. Again, that's what the church has taught. This is mm -hmm. written by the beloved disciple, the one who was next to Jesus at the Last Supper. He was... Uh, he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the three letters called yeah. attributed to John. Well, yeah. that's church teaching. So that's not an accident that you've heard that. You heard it well. Yeah. Um, those arguments came up in the second century mm. when there were huge disputes, particularly in Egypt. What is this book? Is this genuine prophecy? The, see, the problem is, if how do you know something, a prophecy is true? You don't mm -hmm. until after it's fulfilled or not. So yeah. if the prophet Isaiah says, we're going to win the war and we win the war, then you put the book in, in the <laughs> prophet, Bible. Right? Right. Right. <laughs> right. But if he said the wrong prophecy, then you know that it wasn't inspired. Yeah. So John said, what does he say is going to happen? He says, Jerusalem's going to be surrounded with armies, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and Rome is going to be totally destroyed. The enemy, the whore, the, the, the beast is yeah. Rome. Yeah. And that empire is just going to be wiped out by God's wrath. Mm. right? And Jerusalem will be the, the center of the world again, and God's king will rule there. Well, that didn't happen. Instead, the Roman Empire became Christian. Now, that's not what John said. Right. So some people said he can't be a real prophet because it didn't happen. Yeah. But other people then said, well, so that some people said it was written by a heretic. It's a crazy book. It doesn't make any sense. We don't get it. <laughs> and there was a lot of uh, anger about this book. Mm -hmm. But others said, no, but you don't understand. It has metaphorical meaning. Mm -hmm. um, it, it can mean something else. It can refer to other traumas and troubles. And so it was reinterpreted. Mm -hmm. So... But to make it sound like it was really, it really belonged with the Gospels, mm -hmm. they said, well, the writer, he says his name is John, John of Patmos. That must be the same John. Well, you know, there's a few, he's writing decades after the Gospels and except the Gospel of John. And there are lots of Johns in the world. Right? Right. <laughs> Not just one. <laughs> so, but assimilating him with the disciple made the book sound legitimate. And so the people who cared about the book and wanted to preserve it and felt it spoke to them because they were living in persecution as Christians. They were living 
through what John was living through, Christians being taken to prison and tortured and killed, right? Yeah. And and so they felt this was an important book. It spoke to their need and their need for hope. So they said, well, it, it was really written by the beloved disciple. Mm. Probably it wasn't. We don't know because if you study the literary style of it, mm. any people who've done that, even in the third century, Egyptian bishop did that. He said, I looked at the way it's written, written completely different from the Gospel of John. I mean, mm. the same writer doesn't write in these two really different styles. Mm. So it's only a guess. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, we don't know who wrote the Gospel of John either, for sure. Mm -hmm. But all of these uh, names are usually added later. And some the people who wanted to include it used you know, the name of the disciple. Yeah. So it almost like made it more pal palatable, I guess. Like sure. the, yeah, because it was, we have this John. He seems like a nice John. <laughs> so we have this other book written by some kind of John. So if we say this book was written by the John we already know, it almost makes the book more welcoming, feel more welcoming. Well, you know, in, in, in the New Testament, there's a, a letter called First Peter and Second Peter. Mm -hmm. Those were written about 30 years after the death of Peter. Yeah. But giving them Peter's name gives them a sense of authority that they probably wouldn't have had yeah. if they didn't have Peter's name. Or the little book of James, you know, mm -hmm. um, given the name of the brother of Jesus, James, who was the leader of Jesus's followers in Jerusalem. Now, it could have been written by someone named James. We don't know. Yeah. Was it written by the brother of Jesus? He, he died in the year 62. He was he was lynched in Jerusalem. Yeah. So. That book was probably written later, but the fact is we don't know. There's a lot we don't know. Yeah. Now, when those decisions were made, I think it's important for people because I think sometimes the assumption is that there was some sort of deception that was involved. Like we wanted to, we, but I don't think that was the case if I'm hearing you correctly, right? Like it was people were being genuine in putting these names on the books or attaching these names to the books. It wasn't so much to deceive people but it was a sense of genuineness to make them feel um, to make them feel more, I don't know the word, like not authoritative, but make them give them a different, give them a different sense, I guess, um, by attaching trust, those names to them. Yes. Trustworthy. That's they can trust the books. Yes. I mean, yes. I mean, that's a very important point you made. It wasn't meant to trick you. Yeah. It can be meant to say I'm writing in the spirit of our beloved brother, Paul. Mm hmm or uh, the spirit of Peter. Yeah. And if Peter were here, this is what he would say. Right. So it's not fraudulent. It's it's a practice in the ancient world to use the names of well-known figures to say that you're identifying with that tradition. Right. It's a different sense than if I, if I were to write something and say, my name is Elaine Pagels, and I were to write it and put it out there, that would be very different than what they were trying to do because that, that was a practice in the ancient yeah. days. Yeah. But you could say, I'm this is the teaching of the prophet Isaiah. Because yeah. you've been studying Isaiah, you've been preaching Isaiah, and you yeah. feel that your message is really in that spirit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but that's a practice in the ancient world. Sure. It's sure. not it's not considered deceptive at all. Yeah. Important well, Lane, yeah. Well, we are just about out of time. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but this has been a lot of fun. Um, as always, I always learn from you. So thank you for your time. And uh, thanks for taking time for my friends and our listeners. Well, thank you. I, I think your questions are so wonderful and they open up the subject in a 
in a fascinating way. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And do you want to, is there any place you want to direct people to go to online? Is there anything out there that you have worked on or are working on that you want people well, to know about? That, that little book, Revelation, is in paperback, of course. Sure and it is. then the, the, <laughs> the more recent book is called Why Religion. You've seen that one? Have you seen it? Yes, that? I love that book. It's, it's, a, it's your story, right? Yes, that's a book I never <laughs> thought I would publish because it's so revealing. I mean, when my students say they read it, I thought, whoa, you know. Oh, hopefully. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but I wrote it because it's true. Yeah. And I thought it's just the story of somebody, you know. I mean, we yeah. all have stories that are I, – I love to read people's stories myself. Yeah, well, it's a now good I'm one. I'm writing about the books. I'm writing about the, the Gospels in the New Testament. You are. Along with the secret Gospels, along with the Jewish critics and the – the Greeks who couldn't stand the movement and everything else we know about. It's sort oh, of wonderful. a grand soup of what's going on at the time. Oh, excellent. Excellent. When is that when it when is that due to a hit the hit the public? Well, I don't know. It's, I hope to finish it within a few months and get it out there next year. Excellent. Well, I'll put the links of what is out there in the show notes and we'll do this again sometime soon. Good talking to you. Take care.